Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. Welcome to a bonus episode of the TLS podcast. This week, we're running an exclusive extract from The Mirror and the Light, the long-awaited third and final volume of Hilary Mantel's Thomas Cromwell novels. In the extract that follows, it's 1538, and Thomas Cromwell, Lord Privy Seal, questions Geoffrey Pole, the youngest son of a great family. Pole is accused of conspiring against Henry VIII and attempting to bring back the old religion and reinstate the Pope as head of the church. Geoffrey, he says, the French merchants have a custom they call the vente à la bougie. Suppose you have something to sell. It may be bales of wool, it may be a book, it may be a castle. All interested parties gather. There is some discussion, perhaps a glass of wine, and then the bidding begins, and lasts while the first candle burns. Martin, will you light one? I know nothing of this practice, Geoffrey says. I have never heard of it. That is why I am explaining it to you. When the first candle is burned down, the bidding ceases. But then who wants to make a hasty bargain? Buyer or seller, a man needs thinking time. A second candle is lit. There may be higher bids. When the second candle goes out, the deal is done. A grating laugh. Do they not know their minds, these merchant friends of yours? Oh, they are not my friends, he says innocently. They are just divers Frenchmen. I don't know them personally, but I know how it works. The second candle tends to drive the bids up. A man thinks I have put my best offer on the table, but regret overcomes him as he sees his chances melt away. He searches his pockets, he taps his friends for a loan. He finds that his best offer is far better than he thought. Now, you have offered us a few scant pence. I think you are good for a thousand pounds. Dig into your resources and find what you have that will persuade me. What do I get? Geoffrey says. Caveat emptor, he says. This is the good part. You have to bid blind. He has a satchel of paperwork with him. While the candle is wasting and Geoffrey is sweating... He takes out a bundle and lays it on the table. Martin comes in and out with ink and sand, and each time the jailer goes out of the room, Geoffrey follows him with his eyes, 
as if Martin's presence offered him some protection. Forgive me, he says to Geoffrey, if I make use of the time. There is a letter here I must attend to from Bishop Latimer. He is at Hales Abbey finding out one of their frauds. It is what they call the holy blood. Geoffrey Pohl's hand twitches. At the mention of this very sacred residue, he wants to cross himself. But he does not think it would be wise. Latimer says it's some sort of gum. But if shown the coins of simple folk, it becomes liquid. He returns to Hugh's letter. Don't hesitate to interrupt me when you're ready to bid. The next paper in his bundle should properly go to Richard Rich at the Court of Augmentations, as it relates to the surrender of the nunnery at Malling. But pinned to it is a note to him from the abbess in her own hand. She is Margaret Vernon, Gregory's old tutor, she who so tenderly taught him to write his name and say his ave. I'm coming to see you, she writes. I'm coming Friday. I can't travel up from Kent in one day. I'm getting old. I'll have to stop with you overnight. Martin, he says, I feel in my bones that my friend will soon make me an offer. Bring my Lord Southampton's interrogatories so they are ready to my hand. Southampton. Geoffrey invests it with a sneer. It put him out of countenance when I called him by his plain name, Fitzwilliam. I understand that. If I were made an earl, I would expect you to address me as one. You? Geoffrey laughs. That were a world where fishes walk. And trees sing, he agrees. I shall put questions now. You will offer answers. I shall see if I can accept them. You have no proof, Pole bursts out. All you allege is words, 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 but you cannot prove any of them were ever spoken. I have letters. My brother burns his letters. Your brother Montague? I wonder why. A heap of ashes may be eloquent. It is now late in the afternoon. He glances through Fitzwilliam's notes and allows a silence to blossom. He feels Pole watching him. The first candle is spent, and Martin, glancing at him for permission, kindles the second from its stub. This is what they call le dernier feu. While the light lasts, I am accepting bids. I will not play your game. It is a serious transaction, I assure you. I am still in the market. Help me fill in the grid. Part of it is done, but you will see. He holds the paper up. There are spaces. If between us we can complete it, I will offer you your life. It will be on my terms, not yours, but still it will be your life. You may live quiet, away from the court. I'm not a hard man. You will have a competence, enough to live as a gentleman. Let Pole wrestle with that. He picks up Margaret Vernon's letter. She wishes to strike a bargain. Let me sell off one of the Abbey Manors. I'll pay the sisters their pensions out of it yearly. 
and settle up with the servants. What's left will be my portion for life. Enough for a woman on her own. I know people who will give me a home. He thinks, I do not seem able to help women. Dorothea, my daughter, Lady Rochford. They present me with their pain and longing. They tell me they are lost and confused and fatherless and out of hope. I give them money, or in the case of the king's daughter, a horse, a jewel, a piece of advice. The sun has slid away. Le dernier feu burns orange. Speak to me, Geoffrey. When the last fire is done, we will be in the dark. Then I will break your legs. Pole leaps up from his stool. A jolt rocks the table, and the draught he makes causes the flame to buckle. He, the Lord Privy Seal, reaches out, closes a hand around the candlestick. It is a cheap thing, tarnished pewter. Steady, he says. Do not shorten your time. You may still trade. No? Then will you fetch the frame, Martin? The frame? Geoffrey says. What is that? It is a sort of vice in which we clamp the limb to be broken. Martin, uncertain, does not move. I am sure, sir, he says to Paul, you would not want my lord to go to that trouble. Observe the candle, he suggests. Mother Mary, protect me, Paul says. She will not. His tone is bored. Outside, the moon is rising. His mind keeps straying back to Margaret and her letter. Do you know, he says to Geoffrey, I'm weary of this. Fetch the mallets as well, Martin. He settles back to his papers. What Margaret Vernon asks is unusual, but not unreasonable. Her terms are precise. She is a woman who knows some law and her figures look sound at first glance. Geoffrey on his stool is trying to make himself narrow. His shoulders are drawn up, his eyes closed. If you laid your hand on him, you would feel every pulse in his body jumping. Martin comes in. Is this what you require, sir? The frame is on its way. He had imagined a wooden-headed mallet, short-handled, for tapping in the wedges to hold the limb rigid. What Martin has brought is another kind of instrument, a weapon, not a tool, with a handle three foot long. That would smash the head of a Scot, he says admiringly. He stands up and takes it from Martin. Just the one? It will do for now. The weapon's head is solid and cold against his palm. He tests the weight of the hole, holding it away from him at a right angle to the stone flags. Then he drops his arm and swings the hammer, experimentally. He likes the sensation. The pleasant sway of the body, the moment of balance, control, then the growing impulsion, the motion from the heels up. It takes you beyond yourself, into a pleasant giddiness, such as you might feel with a woman, a lightness, when you reach the point of no return. The noise when the hammer hits the wall is enough to wake the dead. 
It knocks Jeffrey's stool from under him, jerks him to his feet. Jesus! While the light is still quivering, while their ears are still ringing, he says, we can start without the frames. Perhaps they're in use elsewhere. Martin, will you gather up those papers? They are the king's affairs, and I would not want blood on them. With his right hand, he grips the hammer, and with his left, he pinches out the candle. Later, outside, Martin leans against the wall, shaky. You said, fetch the frame. I thought, Mother Mary, what does he mean? I don't know any frame. There are such things. I have seen them. Not here, in other prisons. I can imagine them, Martin says. So could Geoffrey. In the room behind them, the prisoner weeps. There is no damage, not even a scrape to his shins. But would you do it? Martin says. There is little light, only one torch burning in its bracket. Somewhere a drip of water, actively corroding stone. It is the smell of these places that is the worst. The enclosed, stale air, the metallic tang of fresh blood, the sour reek of piss. I mean, Martin says, could you smash a man's limbs, then go home to your supper and your family? I haven't a family. No, Martin says, begging your pardon, I, I know you haven't. Although, he says, remembering, I am a grandfather now. I've seen people hung up, Martin says. Sooner or later you see everything. He feels a weight in his chest. It is dull, the shape of the hammerhead. He wishes he were back in time, before Geoffrey started to talk. He wants to swing the hammer again. The head was large, and it diffused the impact, so it barely jarred. When they're hung by their wrists, their own weight does it, Martin says. You might say <laughs> they torment themselves. The manacles get you a result within twenty minutes. The cold sweat starts out of the man as if from a faucet. If you're short of time, you can hang weights on his feet. You're across the room, your pen poised. When he breaks, no point in being awash in other people's body fluids. Once you've taken down the first virgin words of his confession, words that are green and sweet, the jailers come and swab the snot, the tears, the loose stools that creep down his legs. There is a rack, Martin indicates with his head. It is used. I've been in earshot. It is a nice question. Do you let the fellow scream? Some men who are used to the work say it's the prisoner's own wails that drive up the terror and make him speak. Others feel it's not worthwhile, for it agitates those who overhear. There are always clerks on hand or gentlemen counsellors who may be sickened by the racket. In these cases, some means may be used, short of suffocating the prisoner, to stifle the noise. He says, the Spanish, when they burn what they call a heretic, they parade the poor soul through the streets. They sheet him in white and shave his head and sometimes his eyebrows so that he looks more like a puppet than a human. They put a taper in his hand as if he were lighting the fire for himself. 
They promenade him across the cobbles with his feet bleeding and papers pinned to him proclaiming his heresy, and the monks process behind him with their silver crosses and their psalms. And the people line the streets to see it, the market squares. But when the whole city has viewed the spectacle, they burn him in private in some prison yard with a gag in his mouth. You've been in Spain, sir? No, but Thomas Wyatt has told me. And when Wyatt tells you, it is as good as witnessing. Martin looks respectful. If your lordship recalls, I had the privilege to serve Master Wyatt when he was last in ward. Generous and open-handed. Generous to a fault, he says. Look, do not let Geoffrey injure himself again. Turn his clothes inside out and make sure he has not so much as a pin. He will give us no trouble now. The king will not inflict pains on any man from a noble house. I cannot think it has ever been done, not in his reign. But can they rely on that? The king has done a number of things that have never been done before. He's not done the dungeon work, Martin says, or mopped the floor afterwards, or on the execution ground, shaken adherent flesh from chains. He asks, What persuaded you into this trade? A man must get a living? You could have been an honest farmer. And kill pigs? Sow seed, that's what he was thinking. Harvest the grain. There is a pure, clean world where men subsist on milk and apples and bread so white and soft it is like eating light. He says, William Fitzwilliam is on his way, and Richard Rich, and uh, Richard my nephew. Now Geoffrey is babbling, they'll be able to fill in the grid. And we can do as we like hereafter with his kin. Good day's work, I call it. And all from smashing a mallet against a wall. When they're done, take Geoffrey upstairs, give him his supper, if he can eat it. Cut up his meat for him. Martin looks chastened. When we took his knife away, he threatened to hang himself from a beam. I am not afraid of that. It would take a resolution he doubts Geoffrey could summon. Still, if he does, it is no great matter. Though it must be clear it is by his own hand. Do you want me to give him a rope? I wouldn't go that far. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. 
Only at Sleep Number stores or SleepNumber.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Soon, reinforcements arrive with a brace of clerks carrying inkhorn and paper. You boys stay out in the fresh air, he tells the clerks. Or do you follow Martin here? He'll get you some ale. Richard Rich will write for us, won't you? I have another 62 questions for Geoffrey. If we get tired, we'll whistle for you. The clerks look grateful. He watches them out of the passage and waits till they mount the twisting stair. He says, Geoffrey will talk around the point. He will blizzard you with, I swear it was October, but it could have been March, and I believe it was in Sussex or else it was in Yorkshire, and it might have been my mother or it might have been the wife above. Nail him down on threats to the king himself. Threatening his counsellors, that is no news. We know his brother Montague hates us. Chapuis is one of the chief doers in their plots, and that is no news either. But I think the king of France is deeper in this than a brother monarch should be. If Francois invaded, Richard Cromwell says, I believe he would put the king of Scots on our throne. Yes, but Exeter's people don't know that. Or the Poles. They have such pride of their persons, they think they will all be kings. I fear we lack proof against Exeter, Fitzwilliam says. He's a cautious man, he, he destroys his traces. Geoffrey will give us enough on his own family, but... But it will stretch, Rich says. They are known confederates, the two houses. You recall I have a woman with the Courtney's, he says. Rich says, what, some laundry maid? Fitz laughs. Leave Cromwell to his devices. Rich says, I do not see how the Lady Mary can be left out of it this time. Surely if they were planning to make use of her, she cannot be ignorant of that. That were great pity, Fitzwilliam says, to see a princess destroyed on suspicion. He says, they abuse her trust. She would never strike down her own father. We have been here before, Rich says. You are too lenient. You do not see her nature, sir. What did you do to Geoffrey? Fitzwilliam asks. He bundles his papers under his arm. They are strung with twine, Margaret Vernon's note with the rest. He had run her figures in his head while Paul was confessing. I made a noise, he says. He thinks... I took up residence in the pit of his stomach. What do I ever do? A week on, he will hear what the people of London are saying, that Gregory Pole was tortured at the tower, that he was strapped to a grid and it was heated, so he was grilled like St. Lawrence the Martyr, that Thomas Cromwell did it all. He is shocked when he sees Margaret Vernon. It is disconcerting to see her dressed like a Burgess's wife, although he himself has recommended nuns lay aside their habits. Fashion is shifting. Women are showing their hair again, 
Margaret's is silver. He asks her, what color was it before? No special color, mouse. They are at Austin Friars in the parlor. She has been waiting for him. He feels he should have changed his own clothes. He feels there might be blood on them, though no blood has been shed at the tower. Geoffrey has admitted he planned to go abroad with a band of men to join his brother Reginald. He speaks of confederacies in closets and in garden arbors, plots over supper and after mass. He reports dubious talk overheard from Thomas More's family, from Bishop Stokesley. The ripples spread wider, wider with each whispered phrase. Signing off his statement for the day, he begs the king's mercy. At the foot of the page he scribbles, Geoffrey Pole, your humble slave. Margaret says, you are stouter, Thomas. You look as if you don't get any fresh air. Sometimes I try to get out with my falcons, he says. But the king might call me back at any time. The Venetians, you know, they draw a line on their ships to see that they don't overload them. I have no load line, or none that the king can see. You don't have enough help, all these boys. He thinks no one can help. It's just Henry and Cromwell, Cromwell and Henry. Once I took Michaelmas Day off because it is a lawyer's holiday, but the king objected. His reasoning is he doesn't get a day off. Every day he has to rule. I say, but Majesty, you are divinely anointed. You are granted a special grace that means you are never tired. He says it's 30 years since I was crowned. It must have run out. You ought to have a wife. Well, get me one. If you know a comfortable woman, send her my way. I do not want for fortune, so she need not bring a penny. She needs no great wit, and she need not be young. All I stipulate is that she not be a papist and subvert my household. Margaret laughs. What a pity, because soon there will be a pack of young women turned out of their cloister. But I fear some of them cleave to Rome. Not I. I took my oath to the king and meant it. He says, I think the king will not allow a woman to marry if she has been a nun, not if she was sworn and professed. So where would you have my sisters live? Southwark, in the stews? He wants to beg her, don't be angry. Angry people fill my life. You should go and see Gregory. If you want a home, he would welcome you. I'm sure he would be pleased for you to teach his son as you taught him. She shakes her head. I shall set up housekeeping with some of my sisters. We shall be unruly women with no master. You will give scandal, he says. We are too old for it. Folk will pity us and leave apples on our doorstep. They will come to us for poultices and lucky charms. All the same, her face softens. I should like to see my little boy. My wife, Elizabeth, she used to be jealous of you. Margaret says calmly, there was no need. He thinks, if it could be held that Catherine of Aragon was no wife, if it could be held that Anne Boleyn was no wife, might it not be discovered that Margaret Vernon was no nun? Could he not find an error in the paperwork?
Then she would be free. But what's the point, he thinks. She would die and leave me, or I would die and leave her. It's not worth it. Nobody's worth it. The Mirror and the Light will be published on March 5th by Fourth Estate. The audiobook is published by W.H. Howes and narrated by Ben Miles. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365 day returns.